Welcome to the Sports and Stilettos podcast. Hello, everybody. Can you believe that we are on week five of the Sports and Stilettos podcast? Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hopefully, you guys are loving this podcast just as much as I am. This might be one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. I'm talking to Kaylee Griffin, the Houston Rockets courtside reporter. Kaylee is so genuine and so inspiring to so many women. I loved sitting down and talking with her. Of course, technology doesn't always work, and it did cut out my question to her, just asking her how she was doing. So, without further ado, here's how Kaylee Griffin is doing. It's crazy. I mean, we're supposed to be in the first round of the playoffs right now. So it's just been so strange. Um, We're trying to, you know, stay as busy as possible. We do a lot of Instagram live videos. Um, We're starting to do some Zoom interviews too, which is cool, but it's just different. You know, Um, when we were in the thick of things, getting ready to go on a big road trip, we were, and now we're kind of just sitting here waiting to see what happens. It's so strange, but I actually was just... (laughs) I was standing outside my balcony and my my upstairs neighbor just literally started a rock concert on this balcony. And I'm like, oh my God, please stop this right now. Because I'm like, of course I'm about to get on this call. And he's, I'm not kidding you. He has a concert going up on his balcony and people are yelling at him. Everyone is losing their mind right now. It's crazy. I'm surprised I can't hear it. Like not at all. (laughs) He just went inside because I was, I literally was like, you got to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. It was 2.30 in the afternoon, but people I was watching because he's directly above me. And I've had, I, he's on the phone at like midnight, cursing up a storm all the time. I'm like, this guy is nuts. And, but I could see people across the way and they're all like, shut it down. <laughs> Everyone's losing it. We're all done. We've all reached that point. But how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, good. Just trying to get outside, enjoy the nice weather. It's like 70s here in Denver, so it's really perfect. What's it like down in Houston? It's in the 80s right now. It's been warm. I mean, we were starting to hit the point where it's like pretty consistently warm all the time, but everyone's just like, just wait, it gets so much worse, which I lived in San Antonio for two years, so I have an idea of what it gets like, Um, but they're just the humidity here, they say, is just disgusting. So not looking forward to that, but right now I can at least go outside a little bit. It's sunny, which is nice, and just to get some fresh air, which is good. What'd you do for your workout? Um, I have a bunch of bands, so I I ordered um, just all different leg bands and then the ones with the handles and stuff like that, so I've been doing them on my door, and I just went for a run, so um, just trying to switch it up as much as possible. I'm like kind of going crazy. love being in the gym and so for me it's I'm like how do I get crazy I'm always amazed though right now seeing how many people have weights I'm like who has weights I do not have weights sitting around <laughs> maybe I've moved too much to even consider that but I'm like ah oh, I usually always pick an apartment with a, a gym in it so I am always consistently having it but I feel like everyone has weights now and I'm like damn I should have got on that just I actually just bought some at Target. I was you like did? walking through Target, yeah, and I was like, man, I wonder if they have any, and they had five pound weights and three pounds, so I was like, well, I might as well pick up five pounds, because who knows when a gym is going to open up. Oh, gosh, for sure. That's like, at least the bands, I have a, um, a five pound one, then a 15 pound one, and a 25, so uh, it does the gist of it for now. We can make it work. Was there any part of you that wanted to go home? Uh, I do. And I think I'm still debating going home. Um, My mom. So it's been crazy. Actually, my dad is in LA. He's been stuck there for over six weeks now. He was there for just work meetings. He was there supposed to be like a four day trip. And then someone in his meetings got the coronavirus. So they kept them there. And while they were in their two week quarantine, there was five of them in an Airbnb. And then someone in his Airbnb got it. 
And so he's been just stuck there. And then it's like a company-wide thing, but someone in his company that was in Chicago thought he could just go home. He's like, I'll be fine, whatever. And he ends up dying from it. So their company is like, everyone, you're staying where you are. Don't think about it. And he just emailed us today. Of course, his phone's not working. Everything is breaking down, but his phone stopped working. He emailed us today. Another one of his roommates tested positive for it that he's staying with. So he's been out there for over six weeks now. He's got to do another two-week quarantine. I feel so bad for him. It's just oh been a lot. He's, I know. So he's, he's 60. He's going to be 62 in June. So he is in great shape, great health, but he's just like, you just don't know. That's the scariest part about the virus is you just don't know how you're going to react to it. So he's pretty much staying put. My mom is freaking out about that, of course, but um, I've been debating going home, but it's still like just the risk of it. You're kind of, you just don't know what to do. Um, I have two sisters and my youngest sister's turning 21 in two weeks. So I really wanted to go home for that since I didn't think I would be able to anyway. So I'm, I'm debating. I'm like, should I do it? Do I just pack for a while? Do I, there's so much unknown of if we're going to come back, when we're going to come back. So I'm, it's just kind of at a dead end right now of trying to figure out what to do, but I'd love to go home just because I've been here by myself now for a couple of weeks, just kind of hanging in my apartment. So we'll see. I listened to a podcast and you said you're very into cooking right now. I am. I've been really into cooking. Um, I always love to cook. Like I really have one of those people with when you're on the road so much that we eat in restaurants all the time. So you, when you come home, you kind of just don't want to do that. And so my first thing I always do when we come home from road trips, even if it's for three days is to go to the grocery store and just pick up some groceries and what have you. And um, so I've been trying to do that as much, obviously not going to the grocery store that much, but like every couple of weeks going and making a big shopping trip and it's been good. I mean, I, I enjoy cooking. And then of course I've been trying to, when I do want to get takeout, support some of the local businesses here in Houston, they have some great little restaurants. So I've been trying to do that as much as possible too. What's been your favorite thing to cook? Oh gosh. Um, probably chicken parm. Love a good Italian food. Uh, so mixing it up with some chicken parm there, that's uh, one of my go-to meals, I'd say. Um, but I also just trying to stay healthy too, buying a lot of vegetables, trying different dishes with that. So Nice. I might have to steal some recipes from you or like trying to cook. I'm not huge. My mom was like an amazing cook, right? Okay. And then I was like, maybe I'll get the gene. And I just feel like I did not get the gene at all. <laughs> That's, my mom is the same way. She cooked for us all the time. She still does. And we're slowly getting there. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time. And we, we don't have that much time in this industry to have the opportunity to just come home and cook all the time. We're usually in arenas at fields, stuff like that. So uh, trying to take this time to sharpen my skills a little bit. <laughs> so true. Uh, what would you say if you had to estimate when you think the NBA will come back, when do you think, if, if, even if they don't? I honestly have no idea, to be honest. I, I've talked to so many different people and have tried to gauge everyone's impressions of what's going to happen. And I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of hope that it will come back. Um, I've had conversations and done Instagram live interviews with our general manager, our president and CEO, and even our head coach last night. And I think there's a lot of hope that it will, but there's just so much unknown out there of how the virus is spreading. And um, obviously the priority is to keep everyone safe. And the NBA was clearly at the forefront of that by the first player tested positive. They shut down and suspended the league right away. And then every other league kind of followed suit after that. So I know Adam Silver and the leadership at the NBA 
has the information and they're doing the best they can with it. We're all hopeful that we'll get some basketball in again, but the priority is keeping not only the players safe, but the staff, the fans. I believe that if we do come back, there will be no fans, but there's still so many other people involved with getting this set up um, from the training staffs to broadcasters. Our roles will be a lot bigger because obviously everyone will be taking it in from watching the game. So it's, it's just so much unknown right now. I think we're all really hoping for the best, but we just, we have no idea. And it's, it's really crazy to think that we're just kind of in this middle ground right now, anticipating and hoping for the best, but we, we just don't know. Do you think that the players, obviously you've gotten to know them quite well. Do you think they would even want to play without fans? I think they do. I think some of them would. I think just because of the way it all shut down and there's still a month and a half left of the regular season that there's, there's a hope and a desire to finish the season and to crown a champion. And obviously I don't think it will, we're not going to have, we're not going to be able to play it all out like we would have been. It'll just take too long. Um, But I think there's a hope that there's some closure of the year and not that we just end March, whatever, 13th, 14th it was, and that be it. I think the players have a hope that they'll be able to close it with some, by crowning some sort of champion um again I, I think a lot of our players are realists too and understand that you know safety is the top priority here and we just have to make sure that it's okay for everyone to come back because I don't imagine any of them want to risk getting sick either so uh, I think everyone just wants to take the right precautions but I think there is a desire to crown a champion at some point when the NBA postponed the season were you I know you weren't on the road because the team had left were you at yes. home were you in studio where were you at I was at home. Um, The team was going to Los Angeles. They had a game against the Lakers the next day, and then they were going to Portland, and they were both national games. So I think one was TNT and then one was ABC. So there are certain exclusives. If it's on ABC, we don't do the games at all. And then there are certain exclusives that ESPN and TNT have, where sometimes if it's on TNT or ESPN, we can do it too. But that one was an exclusive. So we weren't going on that trip. So I was at home. I happened to be watching the Denver-Dallas game that was going on. And um, our Astros reporter down here, Julia uh, Morales-Clark texted me. She was down in spring training with the Astros and she was like, what's going on with the Thunder Jazz game? And I had no, I didn't know. I wasn't on my computer. I wasn't on Twitter. I was just watching the game. And so I go on Twitter and I see all these people tweeting about it. And I'm like, what the heck? So I pull up league pass and I go on and it's just showing, I, I don't like remember which broadcast, either the Jazz or the Thunder broadcasts I was watching, and obviously they're just kind of panning around, no one really knows what's going on, and then it comes out that the game's been suspended or canceled, whatever it said, and then it kind of just started spiraling that all of these things were coming out, and then I was glued to my computer and my TV for the rest of the night, waiting to see what was happening, and so it was kind of a, a surreal thing, taking it all in, I'm texting my producer, I'm texting my pregame producer. We're all like, what the heck is going on? Because the night before is when the NBA started implementing all of the precautions for the coronavirus. We had um, no more availability in the locker room. We had to have everyone at the podium. We couldn't do scrums anymore. Uh, I had to, I couldn't do walk-offs on the court. So I couldn't do my halftime or or post-game interview. I I could do a post-game interview with a boom mic. So it was, we were all in this weird in-between. We were just like, what the heck is this? And nobody even really understood how serious it was at that time because it was just starting to come. Or as we've come to find out, it was already spreading. But from what we knew, it wasn't a big deal yet. And so 
seeing it, seeing a player confirmed with the virus that soon after they had just started implementing all those rules, I think was a wake up call for everybody. Um, but I was just sitting on, on my computer, on my watching TV, expecting to have a calm, normal night, just taking them in and everything, my world was flipped upside down. Uh, it was wild. It was just wild. But no, I was just at my house kind of just talking to everybody. I mean, my phone was blowing up. Everyone's like, what's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I, I thought we were, we were going to enjoy four days here in Houston, which we never get because the team was on the road and we weren't going. And I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what's happening right now. It was, it was wild. Do you think, or I guess at the time, did you think it was going to last this long? Um... Or were you expecting it to be like, oh, it's going to be like three weeks and then things will kind of go back to normal? I think I kind of expected it to be this long just from what I had seen in China and what was happening in Italy. I had kind of been following the news of the virus since it started in late December, early January. So I had been paying closer attention to it than I think maybe a lot of people had been. And I'd seen how bad it was. And so it, I kind of expected it to be a long time. Um, I don't necessarily think that I expected it to, for us to still have this much unknown and that we are just continuing to go forward every day and we have really no updates and we don't know um, if we're going to be able to get back or, or when the country as a whole is going to be able to kind of go back to some sort of normal. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I kind of anticipated it being a while, especially once a player tested positive because there's just, there's so much contact between those guys and you're seeing people get the virus just by being in the same vicinity as them. And these players are bumping each other. They're sweating on each other. They're, they're all over just playing the game naturally that it's just a, such a huge risk. And when a player gets it, then you, there's just, you can't control that um, if when they're playing the game. So kind of anticipated it, but I think still having so much unknown, I didn't anticipate 2020 has been a rough year um, in the sports world for sure. And you were at the Nuggets Rockets game on January 26th when it yeah. came about that Kobe had passed. What were the emotions like and having to do interviews that day? I can't even, uh, it was such a surreal day. So we had, we were on the second game of a four game road trip. We had just been in Minnesota um we had a 1 p.m game in denver and so we were the first game of the day still don't know why our game was so early we were trying to figure it out because usually when the games are broadcasting in in europe or something there's probably like a four or five o'clock game they're a little bit later but ours was at one o'clock we did we couldn't figure it out but we're like all right and kind of the day already was a little bit strange because you're starting so early. You're used to starting at least seven o'clock. So my whole, I was up at seven at Starbucks, ran to coach over there. You're just kind of all over the place trying to figure out how to go through a new normal at that early time, getting to the arena at 10 a.m. and stuff like that. And I had actually, I was sitting at my desk for the game and we were getting ready to go to the pregame show in about 25 minutes. And so before I go on the pregame show I usually run through my first hit of the game with my producer and so he was over there talking to me and we were just kind of going through what I was going to say off the top when they threw to me what I needed to go into graphic for what we wanted to go whatever really like five minutes just making sure we have that lined up 
And he was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go talk to the guys. And then he comes back to me like two minutes later, not even, and goes, I can't believe you didn't tell me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, Kobe died. And I was like, what are you, like, I not comprehending. He's like, Kobe Bryant just died. And I, I, nothing was going through my head. I was like, what are you talking about? LeBron James just passed him last night and scoring. What, like, this doesn't make any, I, it wasn't hitting me at all. And then, of course, so now I'm going on my phone, and I am just in shock. I just can't even process it. And our players are still warming up, and slowly the news is starting to come out, and you can see it, and these guys' faces are just dropping. And on our team, we have a lot of players who had close relationships with him. Um, a lot of our guys are from Los Angeles. James and Russell are both from L.A. Tyson played with him on the Lakers. Uh Austin has a close relationship with him through his father and through being around him. So it was so surreal to watch these guys try to get through warmups. And then I had to go on the pregame show and we didn't know if we could even talk about it yet because nothing had been officially confirmed. There were all these reports coming out, but there was nothing official from the NBA or anything like that. So we had to go through our pregame show as if nothing was changed. And so it was so hard. I could barely get through my hip because I was, it didn't, just nothing seemed to matter at that point. Nothing I was talking about seemed to be of importance. And we started off our, the game still, like we didn't really talk about it at the beginning. We just went through our first, our, the guys did their open. I did my first hit as normal. And then once I was out of my first hit, they were able to talk about it. It had been confirmed. And it was just, you know, nothing. It was a totally different broadcast. I pretty much didn't do any other hits for the rest of the game. Uh, just nothing seemed important at that time. And we were the first game of the day. So they were, there was all this contemplation of whether they were going to cancel games. And they couldn't cancel because we had already started going through warm-ups for the game. We were, everyone was there. Fans were there. So that's when I think they ultimately made the decision to keep playing games that day. But I did my walk-off with the coach at halftime, and I pretty much simply asked him, you know, what, what can you say about your team and their ability to come out here and still play under these circumstances? And he was getting emotional even just answering that. So we came in, and we knew we, even if we won, we weren't going to do any sort of walk-off interview. But just being in the locker room after, PR had given some of the players the opportunity if they wanted to speak to speak, and if they didn't, then they didn't have to. And some of our guys did choose to speak, and – it was so emotional. And then we had to play the next day too in Utah. We got right on a plane and we had a, we had a back-to-back and it was, it was just crazy. I mean, it was so surreal and so sad. And I, I can't even say I grew up a huge Kobe fan. Like I'm from the East coast. I respected him, but it was hitting me so hard. And I think we have a different perspective being around the NBA now and, and being around these players too and knowing the impact he had but I couldn't I actually couldn't believe how upset I was by it and I think a lot of people felt that way after that happened was they didn't realize the impact that Kobe had on the wider range and the wider scale but I was so emotional over it um that's exactly was, how I was too I yeah. was just like you know I didn't grow up a huge like Kobe fan either but just like watching it and I was here in my apartment, I couldn't take my like eyes away. I was on yeah. Twitter. I was texting people. I was watching ESPN and you were just like, oh my gosh. And because of the way I think he died, yeah, I think it even hit harder. Absolutely. I was the same exact way. I was glued to my phone. I was glued to ESPN. I was watching all the tributes 
And I was crying and I was just letting myself cry. And I was like, honestly, it's probably better to just let it out at this point. But it was, it was so surreal and so emotional. And to be, I think, in that first game that was happening as it was all unfolding was just such a crazy emotional day and moment. And I, I mean, I'm glad I was able to be a part of it to help share some of the stories and the news a part of it, but it was, it's something I'll never forget to, to be part of that and to experience that day. It was crazy. Well, we kind of covered a bunch of sad topics to start off. So let's go on to some positive <laughs> news. Um, you obviously just got hired with Houston back in October. And I heard that you were actually, for your interview, you were flying from Rome to go it's, do your interview. How did you prep in a plane? It was, it was so crazy. So I, uh, my sister was studying abroad this fall in Florence. And um, my mom had never been outside the country besides like Mexico. So she really wanted to make this trip. When I was abroad, I went to Australia, so they weren't able to come. So we were like, okay, we're gonna plan this. We're gonna get the whole family to go. It's gonna be great. And the week I was leaving, I found out that the Houston job was open and my agent called me and she set up a Skype interview and I did a whole Skype interview with them probably two days before I left. And then, I mean, my agent knew I was going to Italy. I'm like, all right, just keep me updated. I I'm going. <laughs> and we planned it early in, the, in September because I thought I was going back to Cleveland. And so I was like, you know, regardless, I have to be back before media day. So what we have to do it this early if we want the whole family to go. So we did that. And so while I was there, my agent texts me and, and it's like, they want you to come down to Houston um, for an audition and everything. And they want me to come on Friday. And so I was staying till Sunday in Italy. And I was like, okay, so I'm looking at ways to change my flights. And my agent was like, let me just go back to them and see if they can do it on a Monday instead. And I'm like, okay, that would be really helpful. Um, because I'm flying back on Sunday. I'll just go right to Houston from, from Italy. And they agreed to that. So I, of course, ruins my trip because the whole trip I'm thinking about oh my god I have this audition room at the end of the week I need to prep and so everyone I'm talking to is like relax just relax you have to enjoy this trip too you've never been to Italy like you're with your family and I'm trying to enjoy it but in the back of my head I have this audition that I really want this job and I'm of course thinking about it nonstop. Um, but for most of the trip I just took a step back and was like, okay, just enjoy it. And then Saturday, we, we had gone to a couple places during the week. Saturday, we were just going back to Rome. We were leaving Sunday. And so we had already been to Rome when we started the trip. And so my mom and my sisters, they all went and did stuff. And I was like, I can't, I have to go. <laughs> Today, it's going to be my prep day. So they all were exploring Rome. And I just stayed at the hotel all day and was prepping, taking notes, going through it. And then on my flight back, I was still trying to do it, but there's only so much you can do before you're just like, this is overkill and I'm going to freeze if I keep looking at this even more. So I flew from Rome to Amsterdam to New York, and that's where I was supposed to end in New York. But then I, they booked my flight from New York to Atlanta to Houston after that. <laughs> so I, I flew for 26 hours. I got to Houston at like 1130 at night, and I'm like, I don't even know which way is up at this point because I'm so tired. I'm starving. I'm running on pure adrenaline. I'm like, God, just please let me go to sleep for a little bit. And I slept for a few hours, but I was like, you know, when you're so overtired that you're just like kind of shaky. You're like wired like that. at that point. So wired. That's exactly how I was. I'm like, just let me get through this audition. 
smoothly and then we can crash after that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I felt like it was a blur. I just had a bunch of meetings and then they had to go in an audition and I honestly left and I was like, you know what? I feel pretty good about that. I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I felt like I gave them who I am as a, a person and as a reporter. And, um, at the airport, I was so jittery. It was unbelievable. I was completely just crashing down. All the adrenaline was crashing down. But I was like, you know what? Um, I feel like I did as good as I could have. And hopefully they like me and that's what they're looking for. And thankfully, two days later, I got the call that I got the job. And then I had to move from Cleveland to Houston in two weeks. And that was crazy. Um, but well worth it. I am so happy here. I absolutely love my job. I love the people I work with. It's been such a great experience. So surreal, but um, I feel like every job I've pretty much gotten so far in the NBA in particular has been last second and I've been moving within two weeks constantly. So it's become my new normal and I'm just trying to take advantage of it and uh, hopefully I don't have to move again anytime soon. Before you were in the NBA, so you kind of took a break in between um, your jobs a little bit. But before even that, you worked for the Big East Conference. What do you think at that college level that you learned? Because I currently work for the Western Athletic Conference. So I'm okay, like yep. in that realm. What do you think you learned in that time with the Big East that has helped you now in your job? The Big East taught me everything. I, I went to a Big East school. So when I graduated, I, I had so many internships and could not get a job. I mean, I was just so flustered. And I was like, I don't think there's anything else I could have done what, why isn't this happening for me? And I think a lot of students that come out of college kind of feel that same stress and they're just like, what is happening? And I started working as a, a live stream PA at NBC Sports, which is in Stanford, Connecticut, which is where I'm from. So it was easy for me. I was living at home and I saw that the Big East was launching a digital network. And so I kind of reached out to them on a whim and was like, hey, I'm Kaylee, I just graduated from Providence. Here's my reel. Here's my resume would love to have the opportunity to speak to you about what you guys are doing with this digital network. And they responded to me and were like, Hey, yeah, we don't, we're kind of really open right now. We're trying to explore different opportunities. We'd love to have you come in. And so we, I came in and we talked and um, they were really open. And I just came in with, of course, some grandiose ideas that were so over the top, but they were like, you know, we'd love to have you a part of this. We don't really know what we're going to do yet, but we're going to try to make it work. And so they had me and another girl, Kim Adams, who is crushing it now. She's working as um, a sideline reporter for the WNBA on ESPN. She is doing a lot of uh, color analysts for Fox Sports, all these other. And then John Fanta, who is now there, the face of the Big East. Now they took the three of us on and we didn't kind of really know what we were going to be doing, but I spent so much time editing, which has helped me tremendously to have that um, ability spending just editing packages and we did some on-camera stuff not as much at first and then it as it continued to expand and as the network continued to grow more they gave us more opportunities to work color and do sideline on on all different sports which I think has helped me so much become a more well-rounded reporter because I've had the opportunity to work with everything from basketball to soccer to swimming and diving track and field we we touched everything and that was so awesome and to work with those college athletes uh it's so fun to work with them because they're so just gracious and especially with those the sports that don't necessarily get the attention it was just a blast to work with them and I was there for two years I absolutely loved it um I was you know go, getting ready to go into a year three I started my year three there and I just had this other opportunity come that I couldn't pass up on uh, but it taught me so much and I credit 
them for so much. And it's so funny to now to be in the NBA and to see the crossover you've been experienced from players that are there that I'm, I'm seeing now in the NBA and um, our staff at the Big East, everyone's kind of moving around and you, it's, it was just the foundation for me that I grew upon. And I thank them for so much of what's happened to me since. And that, so then you went to the Spurs, right? And then you kind of had your hiatus and you were doing just a bunch of freelancing jobs, right? Yes. So, um, so I was in San Antonio for two years. I was hired as their digital reporter there. And again, it was like a two week thing. I had a pickup move and I had never moved really. I went to school in Rhode Island from Connecticut. So that was a really big move for me. Um, It was really cool working for them and, and being a part of that because it was my first experience in the NBA, my first experience really living really far away from home. Um, Working in the NBA, I learned a lot. In my second year, I grew a ton and uh, had the opportunity to do a lot more with their broadcast, which is awesome, and builds really great relationships within that organization. I still stay in touch with a lot of those people there. And um, at the end of my second year, unfortunately, the organization was just making cuts, and they decided that they were no longer going to need a reporter. And they were like, it was nothing you did. We love you, but we just we just are not going to have this position anymore. And it was really shocking and kind of, you know, gut wrenching at first because you're like, okay, I just moved across the country. I don't have anything else here. I don't know what to do. And so I packed up and moved back home. And, you know, that summer was really tough for me. And I was 25 and unemployed and was just one of those things where you don't even know what side is up at that. You're just trying to make it ends meet and try to, to figure it out. And thankfully my parents and my family are so supportive and they were like, you're coming home. We're going to figure it out. And I had a chance to do a bunch of freelance stuff. I just figured I, it was better for me to go home because uh, I'm so close to New York city and I'm all up and down the East coast. I had the opportunity that I could easily get to places from Boston to Philly, DC, wherever I needed to go, I could get to. Um, so it was a tough summer for me and I didn't really know what was going to happen. I had auditioned a bunch of places and got a lot of no's and I was definitely getting to the point where I was a little bit, you know, is this going to work out for me? Am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to do this? And this opportunity with the Cavs came along and I auditioned for them in September, late September. And I had auditioned for their sideline job. They ended up telling me that they were hiring somebody else, but they wanted to bring me on as well. And um, at first I was like, I don't know what, a, do I want this? But I was like, this is another opportunity. You just have to take it in stride. You're back in the NBA. Um, you're going to be working with another team, which is only going to help you, uh, continue to grow. And I had a lot of opportunities to continue to do studio work and do a lot more digital content too. So, uh, it wasn't the easiest path, but it was another path on my journey. And, you know, it's, I think being losing your job at 25 and and then having to pick it up was an eye-opening experience for me and something that I'm grateful for because I think sometimes this industry is very unforgiving and you see a lot of people lose their jobs kind of suddenly and you never think it's going to be you until it happens and then it's you and you have to figure it out and that was kind of what happened to me is I just had to figure it out and I was really upset and I had a really hard time with it and it wasn't easy and I know my fam- I thank my family every day for having my back and continuing to push me and knowing that this is the field that I want to be in and that I should be in but 
it was eye-opening for me and I'm, I'm grateful because again, it just was another step in my journey and another story that I have to share. As somebody who has a bunch of NBA teams on their resume, uh, like a lot of people look up to you and they were like, oh, I want to be her. You know, you've worked with so many different um, teams, but would you say that you've probably gotten 10 times more no's than you have yeses? 100%. Like, oh my gosh, it is. I think that's probably the biggest um, misconception of this industry is that people just think when you're in these jobs that, oh, she, it just went she just got this job. And of course you, when you post, you got it, you're going somewhere on Twitter. People just rip you to shreds. They're like, I can't believe she's leaving. And you can't even, of course you, it takes everything inside of you not to respond to them, but you're like, just don't respond, <laughs> don't respond. But you have no idea what I've gone through. You have no idea what my story is. Um, I've said it before, like it's, it would have never been my thought process to have to move to three cities in three different years. There's no way I would have wanted to do it. I still, like, they're moving across the country three times, not on my list. Don't recommend it. Not fun. Especially but, two weeks before you have to start, right? right. <laughs> like, you're scrambling. You come down. You have six hours to find an apartment. You're like, oh my god, here we are. It's, I don't recommend it, but you, I've gotten so many no's that I can't even describe to you. It's just part of it. It's part of the industry, and I think it's a big misconception, and Students, especially coming right out of college and people that are fresh in the industry, uh, get really frustrated. And I always try to tell them, like, this is just part of it. This is part of your story. This is part of your journey. All of us have experienced it. We still experience it. We get no's all the time. Um, it's just knowing that eventually someone is going to say yes, someone's going to take a chance on you. And that's what you have to keep believing in. And I try to tell people to also take a step back and reflect on what you've been able to accomplish. And I have to remind myself that sometimes too, uh, because there have been moments over the last few years where I've just been frustrated in the position I've been in, or I've lost my job and I'm confused and I'm upset, and I'm like, all right, let's take a step back here and just appreciate what you were able to do. You know, you interviewed Hall of Famers like Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker on a nightly basis. You got to cover the 2016 National Championship for men's basketball with Villanova at the Big East. Like, you've had these amazing opportunities, and you were 23 and 24 years old. Like, there's, you have so much time, and you have so much room for growth. And of course, there's that urgency, and you want to just have that job, but it's a process. And I would have never imagined when I was graduating college that I would have lived in Texas for three of those six years, and here we are, year three. But it's all part of the journey, and everyone has a different story. No two stories are the same. No two journeys are the same. Some people go through local news. I happen to go through a digital network. Everyone just finds their own path and creates their own path, and it's so fun to hear how everyone got to where they are because everyone's story is so different. Um, but if you love it, it's, it's worth it. And I, I honestly will say that up until this season, like every year I've kind of had moments where I'm like, this just doesn't, like, this doesn't feel right. I, I still feel like this just isn't what I, this isn't fulfilling what I wanted to do. And I felt sad. And there were just different parts of the jobs that I just didn't love. And that this year I got this job and I was so excited because this is what I've been working for. I wanted to be with the team. I wanted to travel with the team. I wanted to be the main reporter with the group and I finally got it. And it's, it is everything that I've ever wanted. I absolutely love my job. And I'm finally like, 
yes, like this is, this was worth it. This, all of the years of trying to find my way and trying to get to this point led to this. And now I, I understand that, you know, I was right. This is what I wanted to do. It just took some time. And I try to encourage people by saying, just stick with it. Like I'm telling you, if, if, if you know, this is what you want to do, it's going to work out and you're going to get to that point where you're like, okay, yes, like this is happening right now. And I'm so happy. It just takes a little time. Well, Kayla, you are extremely, extremely good at your job. Just so you are like completely aware. I watch pretty much all your interviews and I'm always amazed by all your questions and how just your pace is so good and how you throw so many numbers and like you like remember everything. I'm utterly amazed by you every single time I watch you. So you are excellent at your job. If you would say though, there's like one thing, if you would look back in your first couple years on camera, what would you tell yourself to be like, don't do this? slow down and I still say that to myself because I talk so fast and I go through my clips now and I'm like oh my god there are some games where even I know I have a minute in my first hit and so I just already that's in my head that numbers in my head and I can I look back and I'm like oh my god Kaylee why are you talking that fast even a minute you don't have to talk that fast just slow it down so that is still something that I work on all the time. And sometimes you need someone to just look back at it with you and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm talking like I have a race to get to right now. I don't understand why I'm doing that. So that's probably my biggest thing is pace. I mean, my family always tells me that I talk way too fast and it's still something that I work on and try to work on every single day. Um, But just trying to be, I think, a well-rounded reporter in different ways as well. Um, I take a lot of pride in asking good questions. And that's something that I've really worked on with my broadcasting coach over the years. Um, but wanting work to, with Jill, right? yes, I work with Jill. Yeah, Montgomery. I just started working with her. Uh, she is the best. I mean, she has literally changed my life in terms of being a broadcaster. She has helped me exponentially the first, from the first time I worked with her, you know, she just tells it like it is, and she's not going to sugarcoat it. And you honestly need that in this industry, because if, it's, you'd rather you hear it from her than somebody that's trying to hire you. And if she's going to make, she's going to make you better. She has totally changed my approach on how I ask questions, how I go into my hits, how I go into preparing for a game. It's changed me completely. And I credit her. I give her so much credit for where I am today. She had to keep me sane through my trip to Italy. I can't tell you how many times I was reaching out to her. She's like, can you just take a breath? And you're in (laughs) Italy right now. You're going to be fine. Just enjoy it. But no, she is, she is the best. Um, and just wanting to continue to grow. I mean, I, I'm a reporter now. That's my main job. But uh, with my position here with AT&T Sportsnet, I'm also going to be filling in as a host and a reporter for the Astros, which I'm really excited about once baseball comes back. Uh, I spent some time at the desk in San Antonio and, and Cleveland, but I'm really excited to spend some more time at the desk and just kind of expand my role in that way because. Uh, my primary role was being a reporter, but I'd like to get a lot more desk time as well. So I'm excited for that. You mentioned research and how Jill's really helped you like prepare for games. What would you say is one of your top tips for doing research? What's like the main thing that you tend to look up? I spend so much time reading articles and I just try to read as much as possible. Of course, I have notifications on Twitter from all of the main NBA reporters out there because I just want to be as up to date as possible. Um, I think a big advantage for me coming into this Rockets job was that I've had the past NBA experience. So I am very familiar with the league, everything that's going on, but 
it changes from game to game, I think. Uh, for me, this is my first year going into a full NBA season where I was covering every single game, reporting on every single game, and it's a lot of games. <laughs> like, you have a game every other day or every night, pretty much. So um, my focus is the Rockets, obviously, um, and there's only so much you can say when you're on game 42 and you've been talking about these guys every single night for the last three months. Um, so you have to kind of deep dive for me more into statistics and seeing what's going on in different trends in the NBA. Um, but then there are some times where I, if we're looking at this opponent for the first time this season, I try to dive into them a little bit more because, um, you know, when you see the Denver Nuggets for the fourth time, there's not that much that's changed. And you can only say you've shared one story in one game and you can't really share it in the fourth game. So um, it's challenged me to do more research and to try to get more creative. I do end up relying on stats a lot more just because of uh, more on a game-to-game -game basis where we rank against certain opponents in, in different things. But um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you have that many games week in and week out. You have really good relationships with the players. You can tell that when you're doing interviews. You guys laugh together, you know, you, know, you can get a smile out of them, which you don't always see from courtside reporters. How would you say that you continue to build those relationships, especially being in your first year? Uh, I take a lot of pride in my ability to build the relationships. I think you just, you when you're around them, you can sort of read them. And I learned that in San Antonio, dealing with some players that some that were just really open and always great and fun. And then you deal with uh, Coach Pop, who sometimes wanted to talk and sometimes he didn't want to talk. And LaMarcus Aldridge, who everyone says is one of the most misunderstood players in the league. He's just kind of quiet. And you can just, if you just deal with him in a polite, respectful manner, you're going to get him, you're going to get that mutual respect from him. And, and that's something that I've taken a lot of pride on is kind of treading lightly at first, not being pushy. And again, my job as a courtside reporter isn't necessarily to break news or to try to get these guys to say something to bait them in. It's more of sharing their story. So um, it's so important to build that trust because you want them to feel comfortable with you. Uh, it's kind of just a day by day thing. You just, you feel them out. You start to get to know them by being around them and, for me in my position, I spend so much time with them where we have practice or a game every single day. We're traveling with the team. So you kind of see them in different situations. Not that you're necessarily spending a ton of time with them, but just seeing them off the court too. Um, whether you're going into the hotel together, you're past them on the street when you're going to dinner, you just kind of, there's that trust where they know that you're kind of part of them too. And then when you're in that game situation and you're in that media scrum situation, how you ask the questions, um, you just, it just takes a little time. How do you um, make sure to keep that professional relationship with them? Cause I'm sure it's easy when you're traveling with each other and it's midnight and you guys are all getting on a plane, you know, to just like kind of sit and chat and gossip and everything like that. But how do you make sure to maintain that professional relationship? You know, it's, it's not that hard. Um, for me, uh, it's, you know, we have different areas on the plane. The players sit in one area, the coaches sit in another, and the broadcast crew kind of sits in another area. Um, you have definitely have moments when you're getting on the plane or walking through and they're walking through and they joke with you. And that's, I think, just comes with, you know, being around each other all the time and seeing each other in those different situations. But I just try to, you know, keep my, keep my distance, keep my space. You, you, again, when you're in those situations, you can read when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And I think there's just some sort of common sense in that. 
Um, and for me, it's, I'd rather keep more space than not. I take my job very seriously and I pride myself on being professional and um, I love the team and I love the guys and I love working with them, but I would never put myself in a situation where I feel like it could be misconstrued or, or make someone feel uncomfortable. So for me, it's just kind of, you know, keeping your space, but you, you know, when there's an appropriate time, there's guys coming on the plane and they're joking about, the way your hair looks after you just came off the, you have your hair in a ponytail, it's crazy curly after you just did the game. And it's just one of those situations where you're around them and they get to know you and it's comfortable in that sense. But there's, there's definite boundaries. And I think as a, as a reporter that you're traveling with them, you know what those boundaries are. When you're watching the game, what are you typically trying to listen to? Because obviously you're not calling the game, so like there's no reason, but you still need to be aware of what's going on. But what else is something that you like pay attention to? Um, I'm definitely listening to different trends and stats in the game, whether there's runs. Um, I don't, I can't necessarily always keep track of those. So I'll listen to our play-by-play if they're like, all right, the Rockets are on a 15 to four run. And depending on when it is in the game, I usually try to track just everything and have it listed down because you never know if that's going to be a turning point in the game or what have you. So if there are little tidbits, little notes that I just hear them say, I'll usually write them down. I have gone through notepads. I actually have one here, which people won't be able to see because I just got back from the gym. I look crazy, but um, this is one of my notebooks from this year where I'm just like writing tons and tons. I just spend time writing notes and I don't even know where my notebook is from this year, um, the rest of the season, but I just go through notebooks like it's nothing because I just try to take as many notes during the game as possible because you just don't know as it's coming down if there might be a, t- a connection to something. Uh, so for me, it's been just kind of getting as much information down as possible. Um, and then, of course, you have your notes from beforehand, which I try to rely on, too, whether it's the game notes, the updated stats that I kind of go through the night before uh, and just follow those trends. But again, it's just it's for me, it's taking down usually as many as I possibly can, just because you never know when or if that's going to connect something at the end of the game. When you're doing halftime interviews or uh, post-game, would you say that there's always kind of one question you have just in the back of your head in case coach either answers all of the questions you had for one and like one thing or a player does? How do you kind of gauge those types of questions? Yeah, I usually try to go into it for, so my halftime interviews, I usually uh, can ask two questions. Post-game, it's usually three. Sometimes we can squeeze in four, depending on how they answer the question. It really depends on the player. I have some players who will go on and on and on, and I'll come to cut it short. And then I have some that are very short, and I'm, like, scrambling to come up with another question. Usually I try to have an idea going into those, the topics that I want to touch on, um, just depending on trends of the game. Same with halftime. And I've had a couple times at halftime where my one of our assistant coaches is – just gives really long answers. He talks about pretty much everything that happens in the half. So I'm like, all right, you're good to go. Uh, but yeah, I usually try to keep something in the back, just like, okay, if the, he hits on all of these topics and I didn't even get to ask another question, what else can I ask? And it, it usually is something along the lines of um, building off of this game or t- takeaways from this game that we can use because we probably have a game either the next day or the following <laughs> day. So that's like my safety go-to on what you can take away from uh, tonight's game to build off of, improve on, something like that to heading into tonight, the next game. Just because 
again, we usually are playing either the next night or the night after. <laughs> uh, when it comes to how you dress, first of all, incredible style. You do an awesome job. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I especially love when you did, uh, you had a yellow dress. And I actually think it was one of the days that I had like just found you. Jill had actually mentioned you and I was like, oh, I got to okay. look her up. And you were wearing this yellow dress and I was like, this girl is killing it. So what <laughs> is your go-to fashion advice? Um, I love clothes. I, I it's funny because I went to a private school in high school and then, in, so I was in a uniform and then in college, I just wore sweatpants all the time and I didn't have a ton of style, but then when I started working, I really was like, okay, I'm going to up this. And now I'm obsessed. I'm crazy. Um, thankfully I now have read the runway, which is amazing, life-changing and I don't know how I would get through an MBA season without it because there's no way I can buy all those clothes needed for 82 regular season games. Um, but leading up to this season, I never had Rent the Runway. I love Zara. It's my favorite store. I live in there. Um, but for me, I try, I always go back to black, which I'm trying to add color. That's a big thing. My mom always yells at me for wearing too much black. Um, so this season, I've really tried to add more color. Um, but for me, I always try to keep it really professional. Like sometimes I like to add a little edge. I'll wear like a long vest or something. But for the most part, I like to just keep it pretty clean. Um, again, I it's funny because I have some dresses that like I wore when I was at the Big East. I put them on now and I'm like, just a little too short. And it's not even really short, but I've just, I think as you get older, just your comfort level in certain things changes. And I'm always like, mm, just maybe it's a little bit too short. So that one's going to go. Um, I just like to look really professional and, and keep it clean. Of course you have people on Twitter. I had someone telling me that my dress when I sat was like, you're, you're tempting people with your legs. I'm like, I'm wearing a knee length dress. I am not, <laughs> I am, I know I take a lot of pride in keeping myself professional. And, uh, I think that's just like one of my things that I pride myself on in terms of, of work. Um, there's a lot of, I think there are a lot of reporters out there who obviously feel the same. And I uh, always am following everyone to see where they're getting their clothes. Cause there's so many out there that I'm like, Oh, I like her. I like her style. I like how she looks. So uh, it's fun to keep, tr keep tabs on everybody, see what they're, they're wearing, what they're doing. And I think it's a fun part of the industry. Obviously you don't want people to be focused on your outfits. You want them to focus on what you're saying, but it also is a, an added fun thing, especially for the women in the, the industry who always are trying to up their fashion game as well. It always helps for a cute Instagram photo, right? Like you hopefully Absolutely. can always get a photo. <laughs> oh, that is the thing. And sometimes, you know, going into the game, you're like, someone needs to take a picture of me tonight because I love my outfit. <laughs> it's like you want them to pay attention to what you're saying right. when you're doing the interview. But if you're going to get a photo and it looks cute, like that's an extra bonus. Right? So, oh, I've had definitely, I've had games where I've come in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask my camera guy to take a picture of me tonight because I just love this dress and it needs to be seen because my mom always, my mom will text me and she's got league pass. So she always watches, but she can only see this much of my outfit. So she's like, I want to see the bottom half. She's like, someone needs to take a picture. And I don't want, I'm not one of those people that's like, I need a picture every night. But sometimes I'm like, all right. My mom needs to see this outfit. Can you take a picture of me? And it's funny too, like, especially with social media and how big it is. Like most people are like, heck yeah. Like I got you. I'll take a picture. No worries. Oh, for sure. When you get the, someone that comes in and has taken the different angles, I'm like, I appreciate you more than you know. <laughs> Trust me. Exactly. You talked a little bit about how people will critique you. How have you dealt with getting critiqued now via Twitter and Instagram? 
Yeah, I will say that I haven't probably gotten as much as some people have, but I think when you initially get a new job or you leave a job and it goes out public and stuff, you you face that criticism right away. And it's funny because it's usually the new fans that have never heard you or never met you. And I definitely saw that when I first got here in Houston and it hurts and it's hard because you just, you're trying not to read it. And of course, everyone always says, don't read the comments, don't read the comments. And it's more, I have to tell my family that because my fam- my mom just takes it so personally. Like, mom, <laughs> everyone says, don't read the comments. It's fine. It's people that are hiding behind an egg on Twitter or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. I have this job and I'm proud of that. And I'm going to make it work and it's going to be great. And no matter where you go, someone's not going to like you and that's just inevitable. And so you kind of just have to build thick skin and and go from there. And I, again, like I've been very lucky that I haven't gotten too much negative feedback, but there's always, sometimes there's somebody and you just kind of have to let it roll off. And of course I've, there was one time I was going through a thread and I was like, oh my God, someone take my phone away from me because I'm going to start crying. But it's, it's just part of the industry. And unfortunately something that we're all going to have to deal with at some point, but I, I do have to try and take my own advice. And when you do see something, you just can't read into it because it's one person and they're hiding behind social media. And there are so many other people who are supporting you and love you and love your work. And you just have to take that with a grain of salt and continue on. At that same note, though, sometimes you can almost get a big head if so many people are like, oh my God, you did so great today. You know what I mean? How do you make sure that you continue to always keep moving forward in your, pa- or your craft? I mean, I think you definitely, it's nice to hear when people are supportive of you, but I think you also, depending on where you are in your journey and what you've been through, like you kind of know the process you've been through. So I think there's a, a personal feeling of, you need to continue to be better and you need to experience self-growth and there's appreciation for where you are. But I think you as a person know that you're not even that close to being at the top of your craft. And I know that that's how I feel on a daily basis is um, I, I know when I come off of a hit and I'm like, that was a good one. I, it was clean. I hit it. It was great. But there are plenty of times where I'm like, damn, I stumbled on that word. Like that's, I can do better than that. So I think you, you as a person just know where you, where you're at. Um, and you, you experience it too on your journey. Like I'm in my first year of really feeling like I'm in a job that I love and that I have worked so hard for. And I don't even feel like I'm close to being where I need to be and that there's so much room for growth for me. And I think that's just something that you personally know and you personally learn. And I think somewhat, to an extent that every reporter feels that way, no matter where they are in their career, is that there's always something you can do to be better. And um, I've kind of used this time to go through my old clips from this year and just, again, listening to them being like, Kaylee, you got to slow down. <laughs> you need to take a breath, girl. What are you doing? But it's, it's been a good time to go back and listen to myself and be like, okay, when this season does pick up or when we start again, you got to slow down. Like these are some things that you can continue to work on. And so for me, it's been a a, a sort of a period of reflection, but I think just you as a person know where you're at. And um, I think it doesn't really, you know, it's great to hear positive feedback. And of course you love that, but it's, 
it's always um, kind of on you to take onus on where you are as, as a reporter and where you're going to continue to be. I actually think that's really funny you mentioned that. And I think it's great advice too. Cause you know, your parents are always like, oh, that was good. And I'm like, oh, that was horrible. I was like, no, like I'm so not happy with that. And I do that like every single time and it drives me crazy. Cause I want to be positive, right? You just want to like move on to the next thing and be like, okay, this one's over. You can't do anything about it. But it's really hard to like turn that page sometimes. Uh, but I was actually on a Jane Slater Zoom class earlier last week, and she has football for dummies because she always wants to keep learning things about the game. Is there anything you do to continue to learn about the game? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, again, like, read as much as I possibly can. I try to read every article that's coming out, and I just, I, I have notifications from every reporter. I want to keep reading about what the changes are, and there's so much constantly changing in the game, and um, I'm very lucky that our analyst here at the Rockets Map Ballard is always on top of all of the latest trends and how the game is changing to uh, becoming so three-point heavy, and obviously the Rockets are at the forefront of that, and how it's such a better percentage of shot, and the analytics. I'm in a, a team that's so into analytics right now, so I've learned so much uh, about uh, efficient field goal percentage which I didn't really even know about and I grew up around the game and I'm learning stuff right now so I'm very grateful to be around a lot of people here in Houston and with this organization that are constantly at the forefront of what's changing in the game um, from our general manager who is an analytics king to again our our color analyst who just is so involved in all of that stuff that he's constantly sending us emails of articles too. It's helped me so much because uh, the way the style of play here in Houston is constantly evolving and kind of going with those trends. And it's been really cool to see because I was with an organization starting off in San Antonio that played really old school basketball and still sort of does. And now I'm with this organization who plays a totally different style and they rely on a totally different um, brand of analytics. And that's been really cool for me. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. Well, Kaylee, I've taken an hour of your time, so I want to let you go and get back to whatever you're planning to do today. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time. You had such great advice, and your story is so reassuring to hear. I hope you don't take that in a negative way, because, you know, sometimes you get stuck and you're like, man, I just want to, like, continue moving on and moving on. So it's so great to see somebody in your position who has kind of done all of that but still is succeeding. So thank you so much. Oh, Rachel, thank you for having me. No, I don't take that in a negative way at all. I, I really want people to hear it and to understand that if you're struggling through it and you're, you're kind of, you know, feel like you're stuck a little bit, that it's totally normal. And it's okay to feel that way because we all kind of go through, like I said, different processes and different journeys. And um, your time is coming. You just got to stick with it. And uh, trust me, I've gone through the ups and downs and I felt like I wasn't going to get there either, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I promise. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you are loving your job at the Rockets. You're doing an amazing job, like I mentioned. So thank you again, though, for your time. No problem. Thanks, Rachel. I loved having this talk with Kaylee. She was so nice. I probably could have talked to her for an hour after we were done with the interview. And hopefully she's able to go home now that the NBA has announced some teams will be returning. It'll be interesting to see what they do out in Houston. Again, I hope everybody is safe, staying healthy. I know I say that in every episode, but I am thinking about all of you that are listening to this podcast. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.